A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, then, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of the Lord. This morning, as we're looking at Matthew 6, 19 to 24, we're going to do something slightly different. I'm going to take a few minutes to look at this passage, and then I'm going to bring up two friends, uh, Andrew and Peter. One of them is from very near here. One of them is from very far. And my hope is that they can help us gain some extra perspective, especially when we're talking about things like money. It's very likely that somebody who's lived and been raised here may not have the best perspective on what to do with that. But let's enter into this passage for a few minutes before Andrew and Peter join me up here. In Matthew 6, 19 to 24, Jesus is basically asking us to think about broader questions and heart questions. And it's basically, what is your attitude towards wealth and possessions? And do they vie for the allegiance of your heart? Do your wealth and your possessions vie for the allegiance of your heart? And if you really kind of examine the whole thing, this whole section, he's saying our default mode, the default mode of the human heart is to lay up treasures on earth, not in heaven. And if you get to the, the, the end of the passage where he talks about loving God or loving money, it comes up something like this, that if you do not make a choice for God, you will naturally make a choice against God. It's like entropy, that whole idea that everything is going to tumble and fall towards uh, disorder. And it's basically, when it comes to wealth, we naturally turn inwards. We naturally serve our own needs with our wealth and our possessions. So Jesus in this is asking this question is, do you have a treasure problem? Where does your heart lie? What does it pursue? And A.W. Tozer had four questions. If you wanted to answer, do you have a treasure problem? He said, what do you value most? What would you hate to lose? What do your thoughts turn to most frequently when you are free to think about whatever you want? And fourthly, what affords you the greatest pleasure? Do you have a treasure problem, Jesus asks. Another way we can know if we have a treasure problem is by doing what they talked about in the 70s, follow the money, right? Where do you spend money easiest? 
There's always places that we hate to spend money. We're very tight with our money. But there's certain places that we're willing to spend freely. It's like the money jumps out of our wallet. The credit card just can't help but swipe things. We can't just help but punch in the numbers. Where you spend most easily may indicate your heart's true love. So let's just think about a few of those for a minute. Do you easily spend money on entertainment? Tickets to the game, to a show, to movies, or on stuff, the newest technology, the latest upgrade, or on your house, furniture, remodeling, or your yard? Or maybe for you it's restaurants and vacations. Another way to think about that whole area is how much time do you spend and how much joy do you derive simply from researching your next online purchase? You know, a couple weeks worth of just checking to see what's there. Determining the best to get. Just that process, the shopping process, can be pleasurable to some of us. If that's the case, it may reveal an over-desire for pleasure, a heart that's fixed on stuff or self or comfort. And perhaps you're, you're not into the entertainment or stuff or technology or, or furniture, but perhaps actually you're easily spending money on your appearance, your clothes, your gym, your hair, your anti-aging cream, <laughs> or seemingly different, on your friends, entertaining, throwing parties, giving gifts. But what does this say? If you trace the money back, it may indicate a need to be desired and accepted, finding my identity and how people view me. The money trail may reveal a heart that treasures the approval of people more than anything else. Now, perhaps you're not any of these sorts of people. You, you, you're not into buying stuff. You're not going to spend money, wasting money on tickets or on big vacations or on clothes. You're frugal. You're a saver. You love to invest. Now, there's a lot of wisdom in that. But it's worth going down the trail. Does it indicate a heart that seeks security financially, and control of the future. How we use and spend our money freely may reveal an attitude, an attitude that says, I don't really trust God with my life. I don't want to ever need others, and so I've got to depend on myself. Even something as good as family should cause us to question how we spend money on our family, on our kids, most of us assume our family is good, and I think that's right. But how do you spend your money there? Do I easily spend money on sports and on lessons and on tutoring for my kids? And if so, why? Is it because my dreams are being fulfilled? I love baseball. I love the violin. Or is it comparison? My daughter needs to keep up. What if my son doesn't make the team? How do we spend our money? Am I content to make sure food is put on my table 
even if there's none on yours? Do you have a treasure problem, Jesus wants to know. A final indication that you may have a treasure problem is that as we've been talking about this, you've been thinking about others who need to hear this message. You see, treasures blind us to our own problems. That's essentially what Jesus was getting at in verse 22 and 23, talking about the eye and darkness. Our natural inclination, our natural inclination is to judge and criticize the way other people use their money and to defend or dismiss how we use our own. Jesus is calling us in this passage to examine our hearts, to find out where, not if, but where your treasure problem lies. And then, answering the next question, so what do we need to do? He basically calls us to redirect our investment. It's not don't invest in in wealth. It's what is wealth and where do you invest it? And he says, redirect your investment from earth towards heaven. And another way to think about this is from inward to outward. Jesus says, don't invest in earthly treasures where moth and rust and robbers can break in and steal and have it destroyed. And we know this about anything we tend to invest in in this life, any of our treasures. If it is your beauty, you realize very quickly that at age 81, you will not look like you did at 18. Investments may dry up. The stuff that used to bring us pleasure, like that VCR and Walkman in 1983, isn't quite as exciting and fun 20 years later. Earthly treasures always end up stealing joy and peace and increasing our anxiety and fear of losing them. What if, what if I'm not thought of as pretty anymore? What if I'm not included? What if my kid doesn't make the team? What if the government shuts down? Some of those fears become reality. And it's a constant reminder that we cannot keep or control anything. That nothing, nothing here that we tend to invest in really lasts. And so Jesus says, rather invest in heaven. Now, when we talk about that, heaven is not up there. It's not the place we go when we die in Jewish thinking. The way Jesus talks about heaven is the realm of God's reign and rule. In many ways, heaven was synonymous with God himself or with God's kingdom, which Jesus was always talking about. The time when God would right all wrongs, would make all broken people and places whole again, and bring flourishing and peace. So Jesus is saying, don't just invest in like the future, invest in the kingdom of God. In other words, serve God. Glorify God with your treasure and your wealth. Give your stuff to build God's kingdom. How do you do that? Well, going from earth to heaven also moves us from inward to outward. I think one way I always think about this is open-handedness. 
in the passage that we'll be reading next week that Will Cravens will come to preach on, Jesus is clear when he talks about basically every job, every dollar, every asset, every possession that we've ever had is a gift from God. Every talent or opportunity that you have been given has benefited in some way from where you were born and the genetics you've been given. It's a gift from God. Every child, every spouse, every friend is a gift from God. Every breath you take is not just a song by the police. It is a gift from God. Every heartbeat, every 24 hours we're still here is a gift from God. Hold these loosely. Constantly recall whose they are and consider how God wants us to use them. Jim Elliott, the missionary and martyr, wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus is talking here about an open-handedness with everything we have and a selflessness, an outward-facingness. It's not, how can I spend my hard-earned money on me? But how can I spend it on you? And that's hard. That selflessness is hard because we are selfish people. We don't see the needs around us or we're so self-focused that we're not even willing to look up and see needs around us which is why we're constantly called to look towards Christ, to look heavenward, to look towards God. And the amazing thing about that is the more we look towards God, actually the more we end up looking out towards others. We end up serving God, loving God, investing in God's kingdom through others, through loving, serving, caring for others. So how do we do it? Well, that's why I wanted to bring up Andrew and Peter. So Andrew, Peter, would you guys come forward here? Andrew and Peter, Andrew is from this area, uh, and it helps start Freedom and Creation. Peter is from Uganda and is the uh, uh, country director for Freedom and Creation. And they're in the country for a while. Andrew lives nearby. But I wanted them to come and help us to think outside the box. Here's what I've found is when it comes to things like money and wealth, it's the water we swim in. Americans, we're good at materialism. We're good at comparing our wealth to somebody richer than us. But my hope was that with Peter and with Andrew, we could think outside the box a little bit, that we could use them to help us to see, to hear, to think about how we spend our money, where our treasure is, and what is truly valuable in God's kingdom in a way that just by myself, it's not going to be as helpful to do. So um, let's start off this way. Maybe you could introduce yourself. Andrew, um, why don't you start off? Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're, You're from nearby, right? So um, my name is Andrew Briggs, and I grew up most of my life in this community off of Beulah Road. Um, I went to high school here at Madison. I spent some time in Kilmer, um, and um, the the Lord got a hold of me during my high school years um, when I was at Madison through a ministry called Young Life, um, and it radically tr- changed the trajectory of me. Um, I, I run this s- uh, small nonprofit called Freedom and Creation. We help a war-affected community in Uganda 
by providing water, by providing art as therapy and helping with education. Um, and I've been working in that area for about seven years. I am happily married to my wife, Abby, who's here today. Um, we've been married just a, a little over a year and a half. Uh, we currently live in Falls Church, Virginia, and go back and forth to northern Uganda. And so um, it's exciting to be here among friends, uh, among people in the community, and a place that's near to my heart. And to be in a school that, um, that you enjoyed at times quite a bit, I've heard, but um, you can ask Andrew about that later. Um, Andrew, thank you for being with us and sharing with us a little bit. Peter, you're not from anywhere near here, are you? Tell us about where you're from in your own life. I'm from miles and miles away across the oceans, uh, from the country of Uganda in Africa, um, the northern part of, of that country uh, in a district called Gulu. Many of you probably have known uh, having heard about the Lord's Resistance uh, Army or Rebellion. Um, I'm a father of two, husband of one. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm really, really thrilled to be here and to share on issues that deal with treasures. And Peter, you've also been a pastor and, uh, and an economist, teacher, and you currently are working as the uh, country director for Freedom and Creation. Is that right? Good. Um, Peter, I'm, I'm wondering, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount over the past few weeks, and here in our passage today, uh, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Peter, when you were serving as a pastor in a church, you would have a chance to preach, and I'm wondering if this passage was the one you were preaching on in Gulu at your church, and the congregation didn't look as much like this and looked a whole lot more like a Ugandan congregation, what might you say um, in preaching this passage if you were back in Gulu? Well, thank you, John. Um, thinking about treasures, it's very, very diverse, and these are the things that we value things that we really want to have and work towards having. And when we have them, we feel like we should keep them because we actually value them. And they may start from the basics of food, shelter, clothing, automobiles, cell phones, family, children, name them. But we value them, and because we value them, we actually want to have a grip of them. And that's why Jesus says, then there your heart is. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. And I know, I, I quite try to understand when Jesus says heart, and why not mind, and why not strength. Because out of the heart of a man, there he is. Actually, you are your heart. Whatever you speak, whatever you do, comes out of your heart. And so once your heart is gotten off, then you are actually gotten off. So if your treasures get your heart, then it has you. And so Jesus goes on to talk about these treasures, and he says, we should not then store them on earth, but in heaven. And why not on earth? Because they rust. Moles eat of them. Thieves steal them, making them very, very temporal. They are here today and tomorrow they are normal. I look up to the things that my grandfather really worked for so hard 
and he passed them on to my father, and my father really had them as treasures from his father. But they seem no longer any more treasures because they're looking old. <laughs> and I'm not ready to take them because <laughs> they're not fancy anymore. <laughs> and that is, the, it was my father's, my grandfather's treasure, and maybe my grandfather really wanted my dad to have them, and I tell my father I'm not ready to have them because they're not treasures to me. And that's how temporal they actually are. And Jesus says, please do not store them right there because they, they seem to be so temporal. There is no need for us to keep them there because we are actually here but for a time, for a very, very short time. A man shared of how he, he really wanted a, a particular design of a house and they worked so hard to have that house. And by age 50, they actually got the money to build that house. And by the time they finished the house, they had the exact design of what they dreamed to have with his wife. But as soon as they finished with that, they realized, oh, we're, we're here for just maybe the next 10 years or, 50, or 15 years and we'll be gone. But we struggled to have this house for 30 years of our marriage that we have been working so hard. But we just have a little time remaining. And then we shall be gone. And what about the house that we've worked for so tightly? So Jesus says, the time here is too short for you to store your treasure. Please bring them to heaven. Keep them with me. And as, and as John says, where is heaven? Are we going to throw our monies and say, Jesus, here it comes. Put it in your, in your, in your, in your, in your safe so that when I come, I will find them. I don't think that's how it works. But the treasures that Jesus is talking of is treasures of love, peace, forgiveness, patience. I, I think they go back to the fruits of the fruit of the spirit. And once we have that, we seem to have it all because then the writer says, again as such, there is no law. And I, this is for me the thing that makes me say, Jesus, what I have is for you. It's for the people that are around me. It's my relationship that actually matters. I could go on and go on. <laughs> but Peter, you know Americans have very low pay. You know, to, we, we lose our track easily. Peter, thank you for sharing that because I think just that reminder of how temporal life is, that's a great reminder. And that's something that I think we lose track of here because we control our time so much. We're, we're in control of our days and our weeks and we plan so far ahead and we seem to think we can be under control, but you're right. You know, you spend your whole life to get something and only have a few years to enjoy it, and, and then what? And remembering what lasts and what really um, is, is treasure is, is a great reminder for all of us. Um, uh, Andrew, I'm wondering if you can help me think through another aspect of this passage. Jesus calls us to radical selflessness, to be um, people who are open-handed with our wealth, but in order to be open-handed and selfless, we need to see the need outside of ourselves. And I've grown up around here. I've basically lived around here my whole life. You also grew up around here. You grew up in suburban D.C. You grew up around the, the wealth that is here. But you also had your eyes opened up. And I think some of that helped to drive you to where you have gone and the things that you have done. Tell me about some of those experiences and how seeing the world beyond yourself has helped open your eyes to the need around us. So I was fortunate early on to have exposure to the international community. My grandfather was involved with um, work in Africa. Is that right? 
sorry. Um, working with the State Department, my dad was interested in human rights. Well, when, when my faith began to change the trajectory of my life, I began to think about international service and uh, was fortunate to do some short-term mission service in El Alto, Bolivia in 99, in 2000, in, um, in Kenya, in the Rift Valley, in Kibera, and other places. And as I was um, heading off to Taylor University to do a biblical studies degree, thinking that I'd go into the pastorate, I was wrestling with some of these intense experiences that continued as I studied abroad in college, that continued as I, um, as I backpacked around and traveled. And, and I, what I saw was a tremendous um, uh, disparity, a tremendous contrast in terms of economic capacity and wealth, places that were subject to what social scientists call absolute poverty, people living on less than a dollar a day, people subjected to... Uh, exploitation as sex slaves, people subject to um, uh, starvation and, and drought, and um, having to really identify um, ways in which to to survive. And um, you know, I thought about those things um, initially in terms of my ability to help and lift people out of, of poverty. But it was in a way that, that I felt like I had so much to give, and they didn't. And as time went on, my, my paradigm changed because I went to serve people and to try to fill their cup, and I found that they filled mine. And, and it was a very unexpected kind of uh, revelation and something that I began to understand along the way as the reciprocal blessing or the mutual blessing of, of service and something that God uses to, to sanctify people and uh, God uses to draw them to himself and, and vice versa, and vice versa in that process. So, so those experiences were, were really profound and very important. One of the most, I think, one of the most important experiences for me in that regard came after I had opportunities to kind of be shocked and to be able to get beyond this cross-cultural difference and to actually be attentive to elements of leadership and to be perceptive to, to relationships that were going on the ground. I, I read this book by Oz Guinness called The Call. I had had an opportunity to study a little bit under a rabbi who taught Jewish mysticism, and he kind of encouraged me to think about the anti-Semitism within the Christian tradition and how it impacted people over the years. So in my research, I, I learned of this community in the south of France called Le Chambon. It was a safe haven for Jews during Nazi occupation. Having, having read some of Bonhoeffer, having gone to Dachau and contemplated the institutional nat uh, nature of the genocide, um, I, I sought to understand 
um, of movement that was led by a pastor who banded together his community to save 5,000 children on farms in south in the south of France. Mm. And the the experience was radical. The the movement was tremendous. It was something that was um, that was led by a believer, but it involved people of other communities. Um, and it was inspired by by his faith and by uh, his notion that um, that serving Christ and um, and lifting up the poor was something that was sanctifying. Andrew, thank you, because I think one of the things that I've been impressed with is the way that you, by being exposed outside of yourself, just getting to know things and people outside of ourselves causes us to see the world and our treasure differently. It challenges us. Sometimes that involves going overseas. Sometimes it involves just walking out the door and looking beyond your own schedule. Um, something I'd like to actually ask both of you about, uh, almost the last thing, is really time and relationships. Um, one of the treasures that we didn't really go into is, is our time. Um, and I think that, uh, Peter, you had some interesting things when we were talking the other day about how time is different in the West versus in Africa. Um, and then also even some of the things you're getting at, I think, in terms of poverty and wealth, uh, Andrew, which you've talked about, is that there's a real lack of and poverty of relationship. And that, honestly, relationships is one of those key places to invest that will and can last beyond this lifetime. So, Peter, maybe tell me a little bit. You were saying something about walking into, into, into a village and how it's different in America versus, uh, or in the West in general versus in Uganda um, and possibly in Africa. But how is time different? Um, give us any insights. <laughs> the difference between time, I think, on the Western side of the world and in our own country where I come from, is that what is in your on your wrist is for you time. For us, it's a decoration. <laughs> the time does not manage us. We manage time. And that makes a whole difference because when I come here and Hendu tells me, hey, we have 15 minutes to, to hit the road. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sure, I'll be ready by then. And then it's 15 minutes is gone, and it's like, are you ready? Oh, I need to put on my shirt <laughs> so, so we can go. Because it's actually time that by the time we leave his house, to get to where we need to be will take 20 minutes, and we need to meet somebody right on time. But that is a little bit different from where I come. In my own area... As I said earlier, we walk by, I think the sun is the best time teller for us and not the watch. So I will know that as the sun goes down, as it moves, as the shadows change positions, I will have to be in this place for comfort as of the weather. Walking through the village or going to a place if I have an appointment with someone, Will, de will depend a lot on how many people I meet on the road as I walk. Because if I met, if I'm walking, if I'm going to meet someone in the next 10 minutes and my walk is going to take 10 minutes, I probably should leave 30 or 40 minutes before 
Because everyone that I would meet that actually knows me would want to ask how my grandmother is doing, how my children are doing, how my, how my work is, and, and is trying to set an appointment with me for the next one month or something. And if I met five of such people, it means five minutes for everyone. And I want to be honest with you. One particular occasion that I remember so much, and, I, and it was very different. I was ready to get to work, held my bag, and then on the door there was a knock, and there comes my uncle with his uh, nephew. He had brought his nephew because his nephew wanted a job, and he thought I could connect them to find a job somewhere. I was already five minutes late, and I needed to get to work. My students are waiting in class for a class. <laughs> so then I have to sit down with my uncle. He begins to tell me the long story before he actually tells me what, they, what has actually brought him. And we begin to chat and talk. Looking at my wristwatch, it's one hour into the time that I should have been in class for a three-hour class. So I call my student and say, hey, I'm sorry I'm late, but I'll be there in the next ten minutes probably if I get <laughs> a motorcycle taxi. And then my uncle tells me what I'd actually brought him, and I realized the three hours were spent. <laughs> and I called my student, I'm very sorry I couldn't make it because my uncle visited. That on this side would completely be very mean. It would be unacceptable. I mean, you know, like, it's, we, we, we have a time and you have to be there. And probably I would lose my job. Right, that's right. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that's actually, just as you were talking, it made me think that when we talk about our time, we are productivity-driven. Even as you hear his story, our natural inclination, especially if you've been in the business world, is you need to manage your time better. And that's because we're thinking about productivity and wealth and money and not people. Time is for me here. It sounds like in Uganda, time is for you. My time is for you instead of my time is for me. I mean, half of my anger in life is because somebody else is in the way of my time. <laughs> and you're talking about a kind of way of relating even to our time that says it is here for you. That's an open-handedness and selflessness that is relationship-focused. And maybe, Andrew, you could share, a, again, you know, as we're thinking about closing this time here, You've said that in your time in Uganda and other places, you've noticed the poverty that we, la we have of relationship and community, mm -hmm. and that that is the sort of treasure we need to be investing in. And how have you seen some of that? What, what is it that you've seen about our own poverty of relationships and of community that, um, that you wish we had what, or, or has, has been pushed or developed a little bit because of your time in Africa? Sure. Well, I, I think... Anyone and everyone here, actually world, world over, we, we can often operate as, as though um, um, you know, our financial relationships are, are the driving force for our time. Um, I think that there's, there's a variation of that in Uganda. I think they, they've gotten it a lot better than we have. But I think ultimately, at the end of the day, when we're in our dying hour, we yearn for our relationships. Hmm. We yearn for some kind of communion with God. We, we yearn for our communion with our family and, w and with people. And, and I think that 
that speaks of the integrity of um, of of our makeup, our our need, our innate need for relational integrity. Um, and and I think my my friends, my brothers and sisters, my family. I, I live with Peter and his family in in Uganda. They they teach me some tremendous lessons about that because culturally their default is is set more towards interaction and relational priorities than it is with individualistic kinds of um, uh, priorities. And, and I think as we think of the church, and especially the early church, and the way in which people met each other's needs, and people lived in community, and people were constantly breaking bread together, um, it's, it's a little bit more akin to the kinds of communities uh, with whom we work in Uganda and in, in the part of com- the community that we're a part of. And so on this side, our, um, our preoccupation with, with finances, our preoccupation with reducing our neediness, because we, li- we like to think that we're somewhat invincible. We like to think that we can take medicine, that we can have a lev- level of separation from the inconveniences of, of disease, the inconveniences of, um, you know, of, of poverty, and, and, and ultimately remove ourselves from a position of need um, in a way that, that undermines our need for relationships, because it undermines our, um, our sense of both dependency on God, but our interdependency on one another. And, and that's most pronounced in our last hours um, or when we have some really physical and pressing kind of need. And so in, in a community like ours where, where we work, people are connected to the earth. It's an agrarian community. People till the earth and they provide food for their families. They don't have outsourced relationships that meet their food needs that meet a lot of their infrastructure needs. They have responsibility over those things that bring them together to relationships that have to meet those needs. And they, they can be satisfied by those relationships in ways that we can't comprehend because fundamentally we, we minimize our need for relationships. We, we have um, screen relationships that are um, attempts at appeasing these human physical relationships. And, th- and at the end of the day, we can't ultimately substitute our need to break bread together, to have communion face-to-face, to hold hands, to embrace. We have these fundamental needs that come from our DNA. And I think that's part of what Jesus was talking about in that idea of building your treasure, investing, laying up your treasure in heaven. What really lasts the kingdom of God? What is God after? When we're worshiping God, we're serving other people. When we invest in the things of God, we're investing in people. Um, Peter, maybe you could close us with, if, if you would say one last word to the church in America or to this church, Christ Church Vienna gathered here, what's one thing you might say to us? I'm sorry, I will not have to say just one word, but... <laughs>
But, uh, you know, I, I read through the book of Malachi, chapter 3, a verse that sometimes we don't want to read or hear. And God is telling us to bring our tithe, the full tithe, to the storehouse so that there may be food. And, 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 and food for who? Food for the widow, food for the orphans, food for the needy. It, when I talk about food, I talk about all the needs of, of humankind. And God says, then, test me on this and see if I will not open up the, the heavenly windows and fill your cup, but not just fill it, but it will overflow from my blessing. And I want to say that there is a call that God is calling us of today to think just beyond ourselves. To think just beyond our own needs, our own treasures, but rather to think about blessing others. And in so doing, we will have the opportunity to actually be blessed far beyond what we have used to bless others. Jesus says, if the hand is sick or if the leg is sick, are we not is the whole body not sick? If the eye is blind, how great is the blindness of the body? And Paul is saying that we are all parts of the different body. We could, you could be the hand, you could be the leg, you could be whatever part of the body. But if one part of that body is not in good health, there is no way that the other part will be well. If your, if your hand is sick, there is no way the leg is going to sit back and say, I am not going to go to the hospital. Because after all, I'm well. It's the hand. Hand, find yourself to the hospital. <laughs> the whole body will walk to the hospital so that the hand will be well and the body will be well. Jesus left us as one body. The body of Christ. So as we are here in Virginia, so there is another body of Christ in Kenya that has just suffered from the bomb. There's another body in Syria that is, has suffered for the last many years. We need to be one in Christ because he left us to be one. Thank you. Thank you, Peter.